Well, good morning to all of you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, Pastor Bailey has been very gracious to allow me to come and to share from God's Word, and it's, it's always a blessing to do so, and uh, especially here in Charleston, which is my wife and I's favorite place to be. Uh, we were actually engaged in Charleston back in 2000, so we have memories that go way back, and uh, we just love this city, and we love to hear about what God's doing in this city. So we're pleased to be here with you. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, Daniel's prayer of praise in verses 20 through 23. Daniel 2, 20 through 23. And if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Let's pray together briefly. Lord, in these next few moments together, speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Give us hearts that are receptive. Implant your word into our hearts. May we hear your voice amidst all the other noise that we hear. May we hear your voice. Encourage our hearts and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't, I don't know if you're like me, but the longer I live and the older I get in this, in this world, the more out of place I feel. And I think it goes beyond just the superficial things like the changes in music and entertainment and technology, although my kids often make fun of me for that. Um, but it goes deeper. There's a spiritual out-of-place feeling. You know, it's, it's not a, just a difference of opinion about certain matters uh, when we live in this world uh, with, with unbelievers. We feel like we're on a completely different page, maybe a different planet. And add to the feeling, uh, you know, feeling outnumbered, feeling very small minority in this world. And it can be very alarming, very uncomfortable. Maybe you felt that way. But you know, we shouldn't be surprised. As we mature in our faith, we do feel more like strangers and exiles in this fallen world. In the book of Daniel, God's people were out of place and outnumbered. They were in exile. They were away from the promised land, living under Babylonian rule. And if you read Daniel chapter 1, you realize that their young people were being indoctrinated into paganism. 
They were being taught the literature of the Babylonians. They were introduced to the curriculum of the Babylonians. They even changed their diet. They renamed them after the Babylonian gods. I'm sure they felt discouraged, alone, outnumbered. And maybe they wondered, is there any hope left for God's people in such a place? Is there a future for God's people? I think the psalmist in Psalm 137 really captures the feeling, perhaps, that they felt. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Do you feel that way today? How shall we sing the Lord's song in this foreign land? Away from our true home as citizens of heaven. How can we sing the Lord's song? Well, our text this morning provides much-needed encouragement for our weary souls. It invites us to join with Daniel in his prayer of praise and to take time to pause to praise. Let me just give a little bit of a context here for our passage before we dive into it. In Daniel chapter 2, if you're familiar with the story, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has some dreams that trouble him. And he summons all the wise men of Babylon. But not just to give the interpretation of the dream, but to give him the dream itself. Which prompts the wise men to say, this thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods. But there's a problem with that even. They don't dwell with men. Their dwelling is not with flesh. They might know, but they won't tell us. And Nebuchadnezzar is furious, and he decrees that all the wise men should be gathered together and be put to death. Daniel tells the king's captain that he can do it. He can show the king what he wants to know. And then he quickly calls upon his friends to pray. Talk about walking by faith and not by sight. He prays, asks his friends to pray that God would reveal it to them so that they might be spared. And just take a pause for a moment here and just ask yourself, when you are presented with a problem, is prayer your first response or is it your last resort? How you answer that question can provide a great litmus test on how much disparity there is between what you actually profess to believe and what you actually believe to be true. You know, it's common to have blind spots in the area of prayer. Paul Miller, who's written some books on prayer, one's called A Praying Life. You may have heard of that book. Recently, he did a workshop for pastors, and he gathered them together, and he asked them uh, to draw up a plan for creating a praying church. What would a praying church look like? What would would it take to become a praying church? Well, lo and behold, no one included prayer as part of their plan. (laughs) 
I mean, how ironic is that? And these are pastors, you know. What do we know? Um, I mean, this massive disconnect. So often we jump into either despair or we jump into activity, and we don't think to pray. We almost have come to think of prayer as naive or out of touch. Yeah, yeah, pray, pray, yeah, but what do we really need to do to make things happen? Is prayer your first response or last resort? Don't underestimate the power of prayer. Knowing that apart from Him, we can do nothing. And as the Scriptures tell us, unless He builds the house, we labor in vain. I don't care how gifted or skilled you are. We labor in vain. And many have noted in this narrative that prayer is not just a footnote to the story. It's actually the main hinge on which everything turns. It's the climax of the story. And God answers his prayer. Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Daniel paused to praise. And what he says about God in this short prayer helps us to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. Well, what does he say about God? Well, in verse 19, he addresses God as the God of heaven. Our eyes might just glance over that briefly and not really give thought to that. But this description of God, uh, as commentators point out, is very prominent during the exile. This designation of the God of heaven. He is the God who is over the heavens. The sun, the moon, the stars. The very things that the Babylonians worshipped as gods. It reminds me of Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Is there anything too difficult under heaven or on the earth for the one who made heaven and earth? Nothing is too difficult for God. He's also wise, verse 20. And you know, to to really appreciate this, I think we have to step back and, and remember what the Bible says about the concept of wisdom. What does that include? Well, among many things, it includes the proper interpretation of things, the proper manner and timing of things, when to do things, when not to, what to say and when to say it. And also, true wisdom is a moral wisdom. In other words, it's not just a knowledge of the facts, like some sort of artificial intelligence would spit out facts if you asked it a question. James tells us that the wisdom from above is pure. It's holy. It's personal. It's who God is. He is the standard and source of all true wisdom. That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of it. True wisdom comes from above. It's not found in the land of the living, Job tells us. 
It's not looking horizontally, it's looking up to the source of true wisdom. James also tells us that wisdom from below, apart from God, is rebellious, it's foolish, and it's demonic. Such was the Babylonian wisdom, or we might add any other man-centered, pragmatic wisdom that we encounter in this fallen world, apart from God. And Daniel, too, is clearly showing us that God's wisdom through Daniel, this one exile, this young man, is greater than all the wisdom of Babylon put together trumps all the wisdom of the so-called wise men. And such is true today. That said, let me ask you this question. Do you ever get frustrated with God about how you perceive Him to be working or not working in your life at a given time? Do you even perhaps at times presume to be His counselor? Tell him what he should do, how he should act. You know, sometimes if we're honest, our cry to the Lord in moments of struggle, difficulty, why, Lord? I don't understand. Sometimes that cry quickly devolves and shifts into really saying something like this. I don't understand why you aren't doing things the right way. I don't understand why you aren't doing things at the right time in my life. Your timing's off. Let me inform you how it should be. That's presuming to be his counselor. And we forget that he is the all-wise one. We live in Columbia, and thankfully we found a good car mechanic to work on our cars. We've been using him for many, many years, kind of a mom-and-pop mechanic shop, and he is an encyclopedia of knowledge about cars. My knowledge of cars is zero. (laughs) I know nothing about cars. I'm not really interested in cars. Um, As long as they run, I'm fine. But I take my car to him, and he often, you know, picks a teachable moment to try to inform me and teach me about cars. You know, here's what went wrong, here's what I need to do to fix it. And about, you know, 10 seconds in, I totally glaze over. <laughs> and, I, you know, I'm not hearing anything he's saying. It's over my head. And at some point, I just say, Tommy, I trust you. You know what you're doing. Do what you think's best. How much more should be that our response to the all-wise one? to the living God who made heaven and earth, who knows. He's the source of all true wisdom. How much more should we be quick to submit, not to question or to grumble? You know, one of my seminary professors uh, years ago said, you know, when we ask the question, why, Lord? Why did this happen? Why did you do this? We're so limited in our perspective. He said, you know, if God were to sit you down and explain to you 
everything that he's doing in one single event, even an insignificant event, you're not smart enough to take it in. It would blow your mind. At some point, you just be, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> it's too good. It's too beyond me to understand it. That's how great God is. That should give you hope. That should give you encouragement to trust Him. He is all wise, but He's also mighty. End of verse 20. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible about the power of God comes from Job 26. And in that chapter, if you read it, Job, in a very poetic way, using many different images that are used throughout Scripture, talks about his greatness of power in creation, but also in redemption. How he defeats the enemies of himself and his people, slays the fleeing serpent. So he's talking about grand things of creation and redemption in this one single chapter. And at the very end, it says this, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Our God is great. Beyond what you can imagine. Recently, my wife and I made a trip to the Grand Canyon. We were out in Arizona in the Phoenix area for a conference. And we took a few days on the front end to go up to the Grand Canyon. I don't know if any of you have ever been there, uh, but it is a sight to behold. You know, some things, you know, you hear about and you go to it, well, it's not as great as I thought. Well, this is greater than I thought. It was amazing. It looks fake. You go up to the edge of the rim, you see it. It looks like a Hollywood backdrop or something to, to a film or a movie set. And you just feel small when you stand there in front of this huge canyon. But think about it. You feel small in relation to another created thing. One creature next to just one little bit of his creation, as a matter of fact. One little canyon in the northern part of Arizona in light of the whole earth and the universe. Think of the universe and all the galaxies, things that we don't even know about, that we'll never see, that we'll never visit. We wouldn't live long enough to visit even if we could travel. Listen to the words of Isaiah. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? I tried a little experiment when I read this passage. Have you ever tried to hold water in the hollow of your hand? How much water do you think you can hold? Well, I tested it out. I can hold about three teaspoons of water before it starts to run off my hand. Three teaspoons of water. He has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. All the waters. Think about how small we are in comparison to his greatness. 
Again, that should be an encouragement to you, believer. Not something to overwhelm you or to make you feel discouraged in any way. See, the problem is we think God is a lot like ourselves, maybe just a bigger version of ourselves, but ultimately limited. We should have the faith that the centurion had. If you remember the story when Jesus encountered this man, this man came to Jesus saying, my servant is sick. He's paralyzed and suffering. But then he says, only say the word and he'll be healed. And before that, Jesus told him, you know, I'll come and heal him. Lord, I'm not worthy for you to be in my home. You just say the word. And Jesus marveled at his faith. Do you have the faith this morning to say, just say the word, Lord. Just say the word. That's how powerful you are. The Lord is all wise, he's all powerful, and he is sovereign. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. And if you read the rest of the chapter, you see just that. As he reveals the dream and the interpretation and how these human kingdoms will fall at the kingdom of God. He is sovereign. Even in chapter 1, if you look closely at that chapter, the, the whole narrative is moved along by this verb, gave. The Lord gave the king of Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. He gave Daniel favor among the Babylonian officials, and he gave learning and skill to Daniel and his friends. God is at work. He's turning the wheels through this whole story. There's no doubt about it. And might I add that his sovereign plan, maybe contrary to how we sometimes think of it, is not hanging in the balance as if it's hanging by a thread that could easily just snap at any given point if things get off kilter. It reminds me as a, as a kid, I used to watch when my parents would let me stay up, I'd watch the, the talk shows that would come on at the time. This would have been Johnny Carson show, uh, the Letterman show, and things like this. And oftentimes, maybe when they couldn't get real guests, they would have these guys come on there and be like juggling things and doing little tricks. And I remember one time watching the show, and this guy is spinning plates. You know, he's got the little you know, things tied up to him, and he's spinning these plates on himself, on his legs and his arms and everything. And he's adding one to the mix, and, you know, the crowd's getting into it. And, you know, I thought to myself, that, that's a lot like how we think, wrongly, I might add, how we think of God's sovereignty and his plan in our lives. Sometimes we think that, you know, the more plates that get spinning, the more chance for failure. The more chance this isn't going to work out. Yeah, God's got to have everything just right or he might drop a plate. Not so. With the Lord, whether it's a billion plates that are spinning, it's no less difficult for him than if one plate 
is spinning. See, again, we're thinking he's like us. When we got a lot of things going on, we're juggling a lot of things, what happens? We let something drop. We forget about something. And something suffers. Not so with God. Nebuchadnezzar, later in chapter 4, after he is humbled, he says this, on the, mouths of a, on the mouth of a pagan king, he says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say, can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one can stop him, and no one can truly object to what he's doing. Now think for a moment. Put these, these attributes of God together that we see in this short prayer. If God knows how to do the right thing at the right time in your life, and he has all power to accomplish it, and he executes it with perfection, with all sovereignty, then there's no room for error. He makes no mistakes, as we said earlier in the service. Why are we so anxious and afraid? Why are we so anxious and afraid? You don't have to fear bad news if you trust in Him. For the Lord says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not, I am the one who helps you. The next time you're tempted to be afraid, think about His wisdom, power, and sovereignty. And go with what you know to be true from His Word. Daniel not only highlights who God is, but he also talks briefly about who God is for us, for his people. In verses 21 through 23, what does he do for his people? He gives, not only does he have all wisdom, but he gives wisdom and knowledge in answer to prayer. You may be thinking, well, yeah, he gave it to Daniel because he's Daniel, you know. (laughs) But if you keep reading... When, when Daniel says that the Lord revealed it to him, he says, I'm no better than any other flesh. I'm no special person. God revealed it to me. So he gives the glory to the Lord even as he's talking to the king. Do you believe you will receive if you ask? The problem is we don't ask. Because we don't really believe anything's going to change. We don't believe anything's really going to happen. At least in this life. We don't believe God's either able or willing to help us. But we need to remember the words of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. And the motive there for doing all those things is he's our loving Heavenly Father. He knows and he knows how to and he wants to give good gifts to his children. Why won't we ask? I think perhaps one reason is 
We don't ask, not so much because we don't want to bother him with our requests, but we just don't believe him. We just don't believe what he says. He also reveals hidden things, verse 22. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. He knows what is in the darkness. There is no mystery or hidden thing for God. For Daniel, it was Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its interpretation. What is in the darkness for you? What is that unknown thing that scares you, that causes anxiety? Your future, your health, what's going to happen to my children? What is the darkness for you? Nothing is unknown to him. Nothing is unforeseen to him. He's not in the dark about your life. Dale Ralph Davis, commenting on this passage, says, you can walk into the future with a God like this. You can walk into the future without fear. I remember when I was a young child, probably preschool age, maybe earlier, I don't exactly remember, but I used to get scared in the dark, you know, at nighttime. I'd get scared, and, and I, would, I remember walking into my parents' bedroom, and, and my wheels were turning, thinking, I don't want to scare them, <laughs> so I don't really want to wake them up, but I want them to know I'm here, so I'm just standing there in the dark. I probably, you know, when they did finally wake up, they were probably terrified, <laughs> the shadowy figure standing in the middle of their room. And, you know, they would graciously and lovingly let me either crawl into bed with them or make a little pallet on the floor next to their bed. And just being near to them took the fear out of the dark for me. But, you know, if you think about it, and I've watched too many true crime Dateline episodes, but um, if you think about it, they went back to sleep and so did I, and we were both vulnerable to intruders or any kind of (laughs) other things that could happen in the night. But God is not only near to us, but he also never sleeps or slumbers. He's always awake, he's ever-present, and he knows what's in the darkness that you're facing today. He's not aloof to those things. And Scripture also tells us that he lightens our darkness I love this verse in Psalm 18, verse 28. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. You know, and in that context, he's talking about dark circumstances, life-threatening circumstances. But God lightens his darkness. Do you need him to lighten your darkness this morning? Your God is an awesome God. He's a God of wonders beyond what you can imagine. Be encouraged. And if you want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in all his wisdom, power, and sovereignty, all you need to look to is Jesus Christ. In him are treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
He is the wisdom and power of God on display, especially in the cross. And He was delivered up according to His sovereign, definite plan. This table that we're going to partake of in a few moments provides a visual aid for the wisdom, power, and sovereignty of God. But not just in the abstract, but the wisdom, power, and sovereignty of God for you. For us, sinners. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we give you praise for your wisdom, your power, your sovereignty, and a whole host of other things. We are just scratching the surface of your greatness and your beauty. Lord, I pray for each one here this morning, whatever they're facing, whatever they're feeling right now, that you would encourage them with who you are, that you would remind them that they can walk by faith, even in the darkness. And I pray that you would lighten our darkness. Mm. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.